Look, I've got sleigh bells. Wow, what's that? <laughs> ah, ah, that's ow. There's the thing about sleigh bells is that they're really noisy. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to episode 18 of the Creative Coding Podcast with me, Seb Lee Delisle. Me, Ian Lobb. How are you doing, Ian? I'm good. Happy Christmas. Yeah, happy Christmas to you, dude. How exciting is this? Very exciting. Are you feeling Christmassy? Oh yeah, I'm starting to. I've been listening to Soma FM. You listen to that? No. Soma FM, they're like... um, a free radio station uh, in San Francisco and they have like a, a Christmas station. Right. They, they have like another station as well. Where they've got loads of stations. Hang on, I've just got to move, move those. <laughs> they've, got some, they've got loads of stations, but one of them, like I think their most famous one is Groove Salad, which is kind of a sort of electronic-y sort of um, radio station that's good for programming too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they've got a, a couple of Christmas stations. So Christmas Lounge, it's pretty cool. Check it out. SomaFM.com. Do you like the kind of the Bing Crosby's and the uh, Dean Martin's type Christmas stuff? Or are you more like a modern thing? Yeah, no, I like the classics. Nat King Cole and Dean Martin, they're good. They've got a good album together. Yeah. Really like. You know what's what I just heard this week, which is really good, is the Avalanches. Well, their Christmas album is called Ski Surfing. Right. And it's like properly cheesy. I mean, honestly, it sounds exactly like a sort of cheesy 60s kind <laughs> right. of um, organ-y sort of surf. That's a great name for a record. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's, it's a good album. And then, of course, have you heard uh, Vince Coraldi? No. He did the Charlie Brown music. Right. And um, his Charlie Brown Christmas album is really cool too. Right, okay. Loads of good Christmas tips. Yeah, I've got a, quite a good Spotify <laughs> playlist with just lots of random stuff on it for Christmassy type you things. Do? Yeah. I like there's an, there's an old <laughs> album called A Very Special Christmas, which is like different uh, kinds of punk and pop bands doing Christmas songs. Like it's okay. got no doubt doing, uh, uh, you know, that Oi to the Punks, Oi to the Skins, Oi to no. the World and Everyone Wins. Have you ever heard I that don't song? I that one. Oh, no. it's like a punk song about Christmas. It's really funny anyway. Okay. Yeah, Oi to the World. It's by a, ba- a different band originally. Instead of like Joy to the World. Oh, yeah, I've never thought about it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny, yeah. Yeah, I've absolutely never thought of that, but that is the joke, yeah. Oh, these punks, this, then their wordplay. But it's very good, and there's some other good stuff on there. So what are we going to talk about this week? Um, We're going to talk about teaching. Yeah, and, and Christmas, yeah. of course. And we have an interview with Dan Schiffman from ITP in New York, very big member of the processing community. Yeah, not to mention also does teaching. That's his day job, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, by day he's at the ITP part of the New York University NYU. Cool. Well, should we should we plow straight into our hot topic then? Yeah, let's let's go. Let's go for it. So, I at the moment I'm doing some teaching and teaching uh on a degree i teach on a first year uh like web technologies module at plymouth university and i have finished now teaching an evening course in flash games um at my local college and i'm also studying a city and guilds thing in teaching are you yeah you're what you're like learning properly how to be a teacher like yeah it's a course and stuff sure it is it's like an award in a city of guilds award in preparing to teach but it's it's like very um 
it's like the simplest thing you can do. It doesn't make you a qualified teacher at all. What What do you learn? What do they show? You? What do they tell you um, about? Just it's just like a really simple version of what you would get if you you know learnt like did like a, a PGCE or something like that. So about learning styles, um, like the theory of sort of learning um, kind of codes of practice and all that stuff. Yeah. Kind of a mixture of like some how to teach stuff and then also, you know, different types of resources to use and things like that. And But then also just like the legal side of it and, you know, your responsibilities and all that kind of stuff. Is that for like teaching kids? The, my evening course is like in a further education college. Yeah. Right. Rather than in a university, it means that under 18 year olds can take it. OK. So then you have a different set of like responsibilities and stuff. Yeah. I think last year, well, you know, I'm teaching at um, Sussex Downs. And sure. last year they, they put me through a criminal check. Yeah. And I thought that was really stupid because I'm teaching everyone I was teaching was like over 18. Sure. But you could still be a horrible person. <laughs> yeah. But they asked me. <laughs> <laughs> how do you mean well they, they they approached me and was were like do you want oh, right, to you you teach to a, a class and yeah, i'm like then... yeah okay sure and then they're like oh yeah you just need to do this criminal check but... oh and can we have some references i'm like you asked me sure yeah i had to do it i had to do exactly the same thing i didn't have to do a criminal check for the uni but i did have to do one for the um and also the they couldn't pay me um through an invoice either which is really annoying because it screws you up have to, all my accounts you have to be on the payroll yeah yeah really annoying. i've got the same thing that is so that is really annoying yeah but also that's the bureaucracy side then what about the initial fun side of teaching well, I'm basically teaching a, a short module in processing. Right. Uh, so it's like, I think last year it was maybe eight or ten afternoons, something like that. Um, right. But um, I was kind of un- given the impression that the students had done some programming last year. Right. So I, sh- I showed up, you know, and the first thing I taught them, like always, is like a particle system. And honestly, I just think everyone kind of... Well, you know what it's like if you're just bombarded with this stuff yeah. and you have no idea what even a variable is you know <laughs> and it's so they oh i take it they didn't have any no they didn't have any any, any programming experience i think one or two of them might have done a tiny bit of action script too but nothing really um and so it was kind of a, a bit of a scary time because part of the course is that there had to be a, a you know a, a sort of assessment at the end sure you know a project that they could do and so they wanted like an interactive motion detection thing and that's quite advanced <laughs> and they also had to start working on it like about five lessons in so they didn't even really have all the skills they needed at that point but they managed to you know what it's like if you sort of half understand the code you can hack it away and and produce something that kind of works does that mean you you gave them quite a lot of the code yeah i gave them lots of examples and they just kind of hacked it around but i always felt bad because <laughs> yeah. they didn't really get it and it was just and then yeah. like sometimes when students would ask me for help and i'd talk it through with them and then i'd just exact i'd realize exactly how little they understood and yes. it was totally yeah totally scary and they were kind of stressed <laughs> about it as well and, but of course like the the bad thing is is that the end projects was were pretty impressive right you know so even though i felt that I hadn't really taught them anything and I don't think I did but the fact that they could produce these projects like that were kind of impressive looking like the college re- I think the college really liked that sure <laughs> the, the thing the thing is though it's like I, I know exactly what you feel and it's exactly what it's like for me as well and it's the bit where I show them something on the board maybe get them to type it out whether they do it, it they can get it to work 
I say you understand this yeah they go yeah any questions no blah 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 and then it's like you get into a conversation with one of them and then you realize like these huge gaps in their knowledge like I'd show them something one week right like we'd do a web page where we put in you know like an h1 tag a paragraph tag and blah and like attached a JavaScript, a javascript thing or something and i go right make a new make a new html um document and set the title and uh, and add a heading saying hello and they'd sit there going oh what was that again <laughs> uh, and it's just like it's it's so hard to it's so easy to forget once you know everything what is what it's like to to not yeah yeah totally and I mean, it's like how do you even how do you even teach programming it's like i honestly don't know <laughs> I, I was never taught, I mean, I they tried to teach me at uni, but I really just, everything I learned, I really learned on my own time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I remember when I was at university, and this was, I'm, I'm not even going to say how long ago it was, um, but I'll give you a hint, it was at Kingston University when it was still a polytechnic. <laughs> <laughs> right. And um, I did a computer, or I started a computer science degree course there. I didn't get very far, to be honest. Are you not? Are you not a graduate, Seb? <laughs> no. <gasps> what? <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, no. I don't. I don't have a degree. I only lasted like two terms. Oh, really? It's horrible. Yeah. So you show up, and they. I mean, all their equipment. Well. They had loads of mainframes. I think they had a few PCs as well, but they were kind of in a special room and most of your work was done on terminals. And all of the teaching was done in big lecture halls. And I think that they'd taken on too many students or they'd just overexpanded or they were just on the verge of getting bigger place. But I remember one of the lecture rooms was in a hall across the road and it was a separate building. It wasn't even part of the university and it was freezing cold and it was massive and they all had whiteboards and I couldn't read the green marker on the whiteboard for some reason. I don't know why it all looked fuzzy. Maybe my eyes needed fixing. I don't know. And there was just some really boring old bloke just talking. I think he was teaching me Pascal, if I remember correctly. Right. Like, And he was teaching Pascal like with a whiteboard and I just didn't... I I didn't get it at all which was yeah, weird that sounds horrid i mean i knew i'd done basic i learned basic when i was 11 so i could sort of know how to program and i'm sure i don't know i i just blame the the university for being so so crap but it might have just been that i was too stupid or lazy or something i don't know <laughs> But yeah, mm. I really struggled. I, th- I found the teaching there really dull. The classes, there was like 130 people in my class. Wow. You'd you know, never so. get that many people into a computer science class now. Well, good. I mean, there's but, only... Well, yeah, but no, but I mean, because <laughs> not that many people are signing up for it. <laughs> well, I mean, computer science, I mean, that's pretty hardcore, isn't it? I don't even yeah, know. I mean, what, I mean what... and by computer science, I mean any technology course. Like the oh, course okay. I'm teaching on now is the course that I studied. Yeah. And sorry, I said thanks a second ago because um, Amanda's dad just brought me some buns to eat. Oh, so uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> we can leave it in. It's a bit yeah, I'll leave it anyway. in. Why not? What did you get? Some, a bun? Some buns, yeah, two buns. That's all right, isn't it? They seem to be chocolate chip and they've got jam on, which I like, but then they've got some kind of red substance. <laughs> might be some kind of icing, which I'm not so sure about. I, I don't have any buns. Um, it's fine. No, so the course that I teach on is the course that I studied. And when I studied it, it had like over 70 students. And now it's like something like 40, I think. So I think in general, weirdly, the number of people signing up for all technology courses in the UK, at least, is going down, even while like the rest of the economy does really badly. And this is like the one sector that survives. What's the name of the course? Digital Art and Technology. 
Okay. You can do it as a BA or a BSc. It's a really cool course. They do loads of processing. Yeah. They do um, HTML5. I'm going to add the 5 because I've taught them HTML5. <laughs> and Flash <laughs> with me. And then they do um, and, P- and a bit of P- tiny bit of PHP with me. And then they do a load of theory stuff. Yeah. But I think... Well, I'm, I'm not a huge fan at universities of like the modular system that they have where you're doing they do six modules simultaneously yeah each one teaching them something completely different they're learning processing at the same time they're learning javascript with me yeah and it's like that's really it's confusing difficult. isn't it yeah that is confusing right so i mean it would be better to just have a like concentrated period of time where you just learn one thing at a time right yeah absolutely but i think in terms of organizing the teaching in that way it would be too difficult because you'd have some of your teachers just employed for the first month of the course or something and then some for the next month yeah unless you could get unless you could get all the lecturers to teach everything yeah we're doing it slightly differently this year where well first of all i'm much more prepared for the fact that the students haven't done any programming at all um, but also I'm trying to get as many full days as possible. So I've I've had one full day with them already. And then there's like next year, I've got another full day and then like a couple of half days and a couple of full days. So it's mm. like, it's much more kind of um, intense, I guess. That's really cool because you really get a chance to cement the knowledge and stuff. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, it was quite hard for the, for the college to kind of arrange that, but thankfully they were really flexible and i had loads of stuff going on in november anyway so i couldn't start till december and so they rearranged it and moved some other classes around so it's it's kind of cool i never know how much work to set them themselves as well that's something i'm trying to work out like do you set problems right away or do you not because in my evening course i didn't set any problems Mm. for like the first five weeks of the course basically yeah we just kind of did like code along as if they were typing it out of a book yeah and i kind of explained it to them as we went right sure so it's like that's one way of getting knowledge but the problem with that is that you're not learning how to apply it yeah you're set for yourself you're learning what what it is but i mean it's not it's not that that isn't useful that's really useful because then when you come to apply these things at least you know where to start right yeah and the things don't scare you and you've seen the whole process of like putting a game together from no code to a finished game yeah but it's then the doing that for yourself is like way harder There's, there's a massive massive difference between being shown how to do something and sort of following along and actually doing something for yourself from scratch yeah there's a massive chasm between that and the way I'm I'm hopefully dealing with it this time is that I'm just I've just slowed it right down you know just completely slowed everything down and every time I show something I get the class to sort of do something as well so mm-hmm. in fact I took um I took you know Dan Schiffman who's who's on later yeah <laughs> he's got a really good book it's an orange book which he'll talk about a bit in the interview called learning processing and that's for non-coders and that's a really really good book to read if you're trying to teach non-programmers how to code um and if you look at that like the first exercises are all just around like drawing using the drawing api right so even really before you look at any variables you've got kind of this drawing api with commands or functions and some parameters or arguments you know i always find that i i change the um the terminology all the time as well because you can say parameters arguments fu- functions methods commands you know yeah. for all the sort of same sort of things yeah. I, was really, no, I, I try to i try to say commands and um arguments while i'm teaching it before i start talking about functions and 
Commands, though. Commands yeah, is a weird one. I always say functions. I, I think when you're trying to learn programming, I mean, I always, I, I remember learning programming with the word command for some reason. Sure. I, I don't know. I just kind of feel that's kind of an easy concept to get. Sure. Function is a bit abstract, isn't it? I, I guess mean, that I just happen to teach two languages where mm. you create them by writing function. Yeah. Which then makes yeah. it easier to remember, right? What's that? Because if I say, well, it makes it easier to remember. If I say, right, which one's your function and which one's your variable? Yeah. The function says function on it. Yeah. So, well, this is even before we get to variables. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, and that's kind of the whole day. Well, I, I, I borrowed, <laughs> I borrowed Dan, one of Dan's exercises, which is to draw a creature with the right. drawing API. And that's quite a nice, loose uh, exercise, especially for artists, because y- they can just do whatever they want. If it's an alien or an animal or a human or whatever, just with sure. like sticks and circles and rectangles. And then we look at moving that around with mouse X and mouse Y, which is built into processing. Um, and so even before we look at variables, they're sort of using the variable, but not really knowing, knowing yeah. it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, and so then I think later on we got that day, I think we pretty much got to the point yeah we got to the point where we were talking about variables and we also looked at loops and the sort of update cycle in processing you know the right. setup and draw yeah um, but we didn't look at functions or um, objects I guess we get to that next but the thing that I find fascinating is this question of how do you how do you explain what a variable is I think that's quite easy though isn't it I, I struggled a bit I always just say this I say this this route this I say like this is a variable right and it has a name and a value yeah and whenever i'm referring to this name i'm really referring to this value yeah so if i score equals 200 and then i say to the class right i'm pointing at score what values in inside is stored within score and they say 200 i think everyone gets that like okay that's that's to me has been one of the easier concepts for them to grasp sure are much easier than functions which like they forget how to call them and stuff like the, the writing the word function and then writing two brackets mm. that isn't intuitive at all like if you think about it yeah well, I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's really hard for me to, to, to know how easy or hard it is to know what a variable is because it's a concept that is so built in, that's so instinctive yeah. that, that I've forgotten, um, you know, to me and probably <laughs> to you. It's just like, well, yeah, it's just a name and it represents this value. And it's like, yeah, easy. But if you don't have a clue what that sure. means, that, and, I, and I have encountered some people that really don't, why would you? If you, you know, if you had never, hadn't even really done too much yeah. algebra, you know, you, if you know algebra, then it's kind of helpful, right? But what if you sure. haven't really, if you're not very good at algebra? I mean, remember, I'm teaching, I'm teaching artists. Yeah, but I mean, even the, the, the concept of algebra, you do it when you're like about yeah. 12. Yeah, I, I mean, guess not so. everyone gets it, I guess, but... Yeah, well, I mean, I was, um, I was asking dan about this well in fact he he explains the process quite a lot in his book where he says you know i'll invariably use some rather dodgy analogy like a bucket or a locker or yeah but the thing that, that really got me is like after he said all that he said well usually i just fall back to explaining about how computers have memory and memory sort mm. of slots and memory yeah segments and and sections and once once i read that i was just like well that's easy isn't it because it's quite easy to imagine like a, a load of memory banks and each slot can hold a number and you've just used the variable name to point at that slot it's kind yeah. of like an excel spreadsheet then right yeah absolutely what do i use excel spreadsheets as a metaphor for uh oh database tables yeah <laughs> I go, this is a database table. It's basically an Excel spreadsheet. And we go, all right, yeah, okay. 
but yeah it's really it is it's harder than i thought to teach i do really enjoy it but yeah it's the most frustrating thing is you don't feel like you have enough time like you don't feel like the uni is giving you anywhere near the time that you need to to do it right yeah so i mean i guess at least you are teaching students who have programming experience from the sound no tip. no they're not they're not though they, they, they don't mean, because they're first years i see they're on a programming course but first years you know they've just finished school like they were probably doing a levels in geography and stuff and now they're like <laughs> right now you're supposed to like you know make a, a website or a game or something they haven't really you know they're completely clueless a lot of them sure but and then and then the crazy thing is that i've got some students in my class who are these absolute like ninjas and can already make like these awesome websites or games and things like that yeah how big is your you class go, um i've got three classes of 20 students okay so that's quite big classes i've just i've just got 11 i'm really lucky <laughs> oh i never have yeah i never have all 20 students <laughs> so um <laughs> Well, yeah. They just don't it, show yeah, up. so yeah, it tends to be about like yeah, fifteen-ish in a class. But it's but, not. So you've got the challenge where there are lots of different skill levels. Yeah, that's that is a real challenge because I mean, basically, I have to kind of teach for the median and concentrate on getting the most number of people. Yeah. Because I mean, these guys who are really good, though, I just set them a more difficult task and I get them to go and do it themselves because they're over the hump. So they're at the stage where because it's the problem of like, how do you practice programming if you can't program? Yeah. But they're past that hump because they can program they just need to get better at it so sure. i can set them a challenge of like you know like so on the last day of term we were doing um this like jquery rocket to the moon thing where i'd set up like a a web page with a rocket and the moon and a, and a countdown timer and a button yeah and you had to press the button then that had to start the countdown um when the countdown reached zero it had the rocket had to fly to the moon yeah so once i set this task like you know the guys who were really good had it done within like the first kind of 20 minutes of a two-hour session yeah so then i could then set them additional things like okay well now can you add a sound and now can you like make it and or just do something interesting with it and so like yeah this guy made it so that it had booster rockets on the bottom you know booster flames on the bottom of the rocket and then <laughs> the moon exploded when it landed and stuff so uh, cool. and someone added a button to make the rocket come back from the moon after it landed and stuff so sure well, yeah they're kind of the easy ones it's the ones who are like maybe not practicing enough in their own time yeah and or they're complaining that like uh they had had an essay to do instead and they've like would like to be practicing this but instead they've had to write this essay whatever and that goes back to the six modules thing but yeah it's really hard i, I do think that when there are different skill levels it, it's I think that makes it harder for the people with no experience. And I've noticed that in my classes over this year. Yes. My creative this, JavaScript classes. Right. Is that although what I teach them is good for designers because it's visual. Yeah. So it's not like I always use the joke this. It's not form validation, <laughs> but it is kind of visual programming. So it does appeal to designers and it is a good route in. But I still find that if for the um, the people in the class with the least programming experience, it can make it worse if everyone else is really good and asking really hard questions and just flying off. Mm, I guess that's, that's, yeah, that's like anything, isn't it? If you feel like you just don't get it and everyone else gets it, it makes the not getting it worse. Mm, so, yeah. um, but this year I've decided to, uh, or next year I should say in 20 what are we up to 2012 <laughs> i keep forgetting what year we're in in 2012 i want to do a creative javascript course for for non-coders right. i guess aimed at web designers it was because i saw simon collison he's collie on kicks um, on kicks kicks is like a really old bulletin board i meant twitter <laughs> so i just had a flashback like <laughs> 
flashback like 20 years or something um yeah he's he's colleague on twitter <laughs> that's mental god what year i really don't know what year i'm in do you is it like a bbs yeah kicks was Dying yeah it was but it, and... it was on the internet as well but it was like the first it was like a massive like it, it was called a conferencing system and it was basically lots of different forums that you could go on and, and chat to people so you know i knew about flaming and ruffling you know before most other people and you did get an email address that was attached to the internet I'll as well check you out yeah got on it and i had seven you knew all about kids. asl yeah asl yes that was Actually, what we used to say back in the day on CompuServe. yeah i don't know if we said asl on kicks or not i'm not i don't think so i think that was a, a chat forum thing in the internet wasn't it but anyway yeah sorry was CompuServe on the internet i don't know i don't think so i don't know anyway back to the point um simon collison who's a well-known web designer and he runs the new adventures conference and I saw him speak at Beyond Tellerand in Germany. I think that's where I saw him. I've been to too sure. many conferences. And he made this really, really good point about being a web designer. To be 100% of a web designer, you need to be 80% lots of things. And in his list of things, <laughs> you know, 80% about typography, 80% about graphic design, right, 80% right. about CSS and all that. And one of the things he, he had in his list was like JavaScript. And I think that's quite a good point that he made. And of course, he he reiterated that most people's percentages would fluctuate a little bit. And in his own personal sort of bar chart of of skills, JavaScript was a little bit lower. Hmm. And that just got me thinking, wouldn't it be cool to to do a, a JavaScript course that appealed to designers that was based on these sort of visual things that I've been coding and just... If I had a class that was actually for complete non-coders, then it should be a lot less scary, right? Mm. So that's what I'm doing next year. <laughs> but so that's pretty much what you're doing now, but instead of using processing, using JavaScript. Yeah, yeah, that's. But exactly. I mean that that is harder because it's like you know I did your your creative JavaScript course, yeah, and the stuff we did on that is great for like people who already know how to code, but yeah, well you know I mean you know better than I do about like what is how it you know what it takes to get a graphic on the screen in Canvas and things like that. Yeah. It's a bit fiddly, yeah. but I think that as soon as I start any maths, it freaks people out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Even experienced coders. So, can, but you can you can avoid that, right? You can still make a particle system without any maths. Sure. You can still do like Canvas drawing API without any variables. Sure. You know, and just build it up layer by layer. So it would be I would I would expect at the end of a two day course for at the end of the two days to have covered kind of loops and simple animation and objects and made a system and had some simple interaction but i wouldn't do it with all the sort of complicated maths -y sort of things that i did on the the full creative js course yeah teaching web stuff is hard i just wish the web had better apis like i wish it was can't we just redesign everything from scratch <laughs> no <Nope. Right? laughs> like keith peters was saying this on twitter the other day i've got a name drop keith every so once in a while oh we haven't um, mentioned him for a while no he was saying that um Oh, you know, he could do a really much. He's like he's learning CSS properly at the moment as well, and he was saying he could do a much better job. Um, you know, redesigning a some, you know, something instead of CSS. Yeah, and it's like yeah, so could pretty much anyone. Like so could anyone who's used a, a you know a range of graphical APIs or layout APIs or yeah, you know, everything that's been invented since JavaScript and CSS and HTML is better, really, right? I mean, I guess I guess the nature of the in-browser technology is that it has evolved 
evolved over time. Yeah. And there's a there's there are lots of reasons for why it is the way it is. It's we're kind of stuck now though. Yeah, we are stuck, it's but that's like, why, why... It's, that that's why it's how it is, right? Because of the fact that you can't break old web pages. Yeah. Yeah, you know that that's that's a big part of it. Yeah. Also, I just think the sort of nature of how the the specs are drawn up, you know, with committees and with lots of interested parties, you know, I'm I'm quite astonished that it's even usable to, at all. To be honest, <laughs> you know, if you consider <laughs> the history and the complexity and the backwards compatibility and all of these things, what's funny is I'm seeing in lots of different technologies people implementing the Flash display, the AS3 display list API. Yeah, that seems to be like a really common thread across everything at the moment. Like you can get it, you know, there's uh, one for iPhone that does it. Yeah, there's multiple JavaScript ones, including um, uh, Camp. Uh, what's it called? Easel. It's like because that seems to be a system that works, mm. right? Yeah, but I mean, I do wonder if. I mean, it's not a system. I'm just trying to figure out where else I've seen things like that. I mean, I guess in things like Unity 3D and PaperVision and 3.js, that concept of a hierarchical kind of object structure is is pretty common, right? But I don't know if yeah. I've ever really seen that in 2D before Flash. No, but now it's been re-implemented across all different types yeah. of places because it obviously it's tried and it's a tried and tested thing that, you know, at least works. Yeah. You see I mean what, it's, it's a very I mean, useful though? it's a very useful structure. I just wonder how people dealt with it before. You know, I don't it's not something I see in processing. It's part of the fact of like do you remember games all used to be tile based, right? Yeah. And nothing rotated and everything was on this grid and that's yeah. because they were stuck they didn't have any systems like this yeah to work with yeah it's yeah. a good point it's i mean it is a nice it's a nice structure to work with that's for sure I, I mean i can't and i honestly can't see how you could make it better so i think that even in you know 10 years when there probably won't be flash anymore mm. realistically that api will still be out there in a, it does in other technologies because it's just a logical one that seems to work right you have a Every object is a container that can have its own children. It's like a, a recursive model, right? I don't think Flash is the first thing to do that, though, was it? I never saw it before. Yeah, yeah, no, I guess so. I guess it kind of came out of that newfound... I guess it's basically around vectors, isn't it? But I'm pretty sure SVG is similar kind of hierarchy. Yeah, but I mean, it's not even necessary. It's not a vector technology by def- no. inherently. Um, it's, it? All it is is a way of nesting transformations, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, Essentially. That's, so yeah. that that's not doesn't have to be vectors that could be bitmaps and if you think about canvas like you're not actually you know easel js that has that but it's not using any real vectors i mean it's uh, being bitmaps it doesn't really work just with bitmaps does it it has to be like if you say you've got a bitmap then you should be able to put another bitmap inside that bitmap and that's quite a weird thing with bitmaps isn't it i mean i guess the bitmap is a sort of object in space with uh yeah just think about the contain think about there's these empty containers and some of them have got bitmaps in them and you're never really putting anything inside the bitmap you're putting it inside the same container as the bitmap yeah okay so should we go to the interview then is that yeah yeah definitely so i caught up with dan at art and code uh, which was at the Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. And um, we were sat outside. It was uh, an unseasonably sunny day. And yeah, and we were right by the Centre for Fine Arts. So there are lots of musicians practising around and lots of noise. So forgive the, uh, the the sound effects. It makes it rather charming, though, I guess, to have like a musical background. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but I started off by asking him to explain what his work was like at the ITP. Yeah, well, ITP is a two-year graduate program at um, NYU. It's in the Tisch School of the Arts. 
And um, it, most people don't know that the program's actually been around for 30 years. It was founded in 1979 um, by Red Burns. And um, now what we are is 200 students doing all sorts of stuff with technology media. But the, the main principles behind ITP are not about technology or gadgets or programming or tools. It's really more about people and human connections and ideas and playful experimentation. So um, this, we really emphasize um, collaboration and it's, it's a nice place where people can come and kind of do whatever they want for two years, which is a very rare opportunity. That sounds good. It's a very expensive opportunity, but can be worthwhile. Where do I sign up for that? <laughs> um, so your job there in particular, I mean, I know you're particularly known for like the work you do with processing, right? right? Is that a lot of the stuff you do there? That's what I do there, yeah. I, I, so I was an ITP student um, between 2001 and 2003, and then I just, um, after I graduated, I just, just sort of leave. sat in the hallway <laughs> for a while. And then, but it, there were, it was it was fortuitous and nice timing because that was around the time, I mean, the processing pro project was started 10 years ago, really, yeah. and so it was around that time that it was first being used in schools, and I it was like, oh, we should use it here. Maybe I'll write a little tutorial. And then once you do that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Then you're sort of that's that's I, I definitely owe processing a huge debt because in a lot of ways I think I have my job because of <laughs> because of that project. But um, so yeah. But now what I do is I um, um, there's a bunch of things that I do, but the main thing is really think about how to teach programming to ITP students, and it's a big challenge because we have 100 students each year. They're from different countries, different backgrounds, different ages, and some of them have some experience, no experience at all, and so it's it's a fun sort of problem hmm. to teach programming to all these all these students as they enter. I mean, how do you manage that range of abilities? I mean, surely if you yeah. if you make it too simple, it's just going right. to be boring for the people who have done it before, yeah. right? I, I have a philosophy of this, yeah. and I think it's one that sounds really good, but I'm not sure <laughs> if, I, if it actually is successfully implemented. But um, in, the, in the intro class, the idea really is that class is geared for students who haven't had any experience at all. So for that, I, I really do kind of have that in mind teaching the class but once we get later in the semester with more advanced topics or also with my nature of code course which is you know kind of processing two in a way um, what I try to do is I think about 50% of the class as I'm really going over these sort of programming minutia beginner steps little by little detail by detail step by step in the most long-winded way to help to make sure we're all on the same page getting yeah. from point A to point B. And once I've sort of done that for half the class, the second half I might move more quickly towards more complex and exciting examples without having to go through the code step by step, detail by detail. So it's more about the bigger picture and the students who are maybe more advanced or have more background can kind of go more quickly with that, but everybody hopefully still feels yeah. comfortable. I, you know, and it, it, that's the idea I mean, I behind it. But what I, I think that's what I find with my <laughs> workshops as well is that because it's kind of creative right. pr programming, it's not, you know, it's not really about the code itself, which is right. usually very simple, right? It's right. then more about getting programmers to understand that iterative design process. Right. And great projects come from people who are not programmers and who don't even like programming because they will approach problems and solve things in weird ways that you would never think to do if you really know what you're, quote unquote, know what you're doing. Yeah. And that, I, I really love that because I think, and I think that's what makes ITP special in a way is um, we aren't a place of advanced, you know, super engineers who've been doing this stuff for years, and also um, you get people together who are from completely disparate, who think in, in different ways. There's something exciting is happening over there. No um, idea what's going on over there. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of us, though, because I see, uh, oh, it's that camera. I think it's that camera that you throw in the air. Oh, the 
you know about this? Yeah, it's the, the ball camera. Yeah, the 360 ball camera. Yeah. Yeah, I saw some, some anyway. footage of that. Anyway, distraction over. What, what were you saying? I don't remember anymore. <laughs> I'm sure it was very interesting. There's something about teaching and how I think that I do it in a nice way. I'm sure you do it in a yeah. brilliant way. So, I mean, you're, goodness, they really are having fun over there. Yeah. I think I want to be part you're of right. it. We're having more fun yeah. here, Dan. Oh, this wow, will reach more people than the, yeah, uh, certainly will, <laughs> than their stupid 360. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, there's some other, like, interesting people that have come through ITV, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. a lot of the Open Frameworks people, right? Um, and Zach's still there, isn't he? Yeah, well, Zach taught a course last year. I think Zach is more uh, full-time at Parsons. Okay. Um, but, you know, we're all in New York, so it's nice to um, it's nice to sort of have as much cross-pollination as possible. Zach and Kyle co-taught a class last year at ITB, which was really fantastic. So um, this is one of the, the uh, um, things that we have to kind of often figure out, which is processing. It's very clear to me that processing makes sense for um, the ways that we get people started with their work at ITP. And then I always get that question from students. I have pr this project, what thing should I use? There's frameworks, there's Cinder, there's Flash, there's processing, there's, you know, this notebook that I have over here and some paint or, you know. So, um, so that, that um, but I, you know, I'm really so entrenched in the processing community that sometimes I'm not the best person to answer that because I always think, well, here's how you would do it in processing. So. I think this is a case of you answering a, a question that you thought I asked. We, I guess you're so used to being asked. <laughs> right, that got why, a horrible question. Why, no. why should I, can't I use open right. frameworks? It's fine, Dan, you don't have to answer that now. But I do think that processing yeah. is rapidly becoming the kind of, the one that you would want to use most for most things, right? Right, right. Or it's getting to that yeah. point where it can be, right? I, I wish that question just didn't even matter somehow, and people didn't. It, it, because it, it, it shouldn't. It should. You, people should make their own choices and use what they sort of just feel comfortable with. And I think it's a different. It's different for different people. And it's different for different projects. Mm. But what I do see certain students really nicely flowing back and forth between the two, and just from being here at Art and Code, seeing what. Kyle and Elliot, Kyle McDonald and Elliot Woods were demoing this morning with these sets of computer vision examples and ca projection calibration stuff that's just like these really brilliant, just here's the code, here's the project, run it, it's calibrated, there's your little YAML file or whatever that, um, we, we should, we don't have some of that in processing, yeah. so we don't have as much integration with, there's an open CV library, but um, all I could think in that <laughs> talk this morning was, oh, well we could do all that in processing, let's go. Fine, so let's make that library next week. So I don't, I don't know if that will really happen. Yeah. But um, I do think that these projects really do great things for each other by um, um, making something new and exciting and happen in one and then having it happen in the others. Yeah. Open Framework is very powerful, but I sometimes find it difficult yeah. setting it up. I've been doing a lot of it lately, yeah. but I think processing is much more friendly in that yeah. way, isn't it? Well, and, and like, even with the stuff you do, right. so much more documentation, right? Right. It, but it's also just the difference between using Xcode using the processing IDE or even yeah. Eclipse perhaps. Oh yeah, um, which I hate. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's okay. I, yeah. I, I have a love-hate relationship yeah. with Eclipse. Well, I so. guess I used it for many years uh, because um, there are a lot of flash editing tools that were based on Eclipse, but I think a lot of them had kind of right. corrupted Eclipse a little bit. Do you know right. what I mean? Like right. Flash Builder had probably just forked Eclipse a few years ago and never to return. C++ is also a very scary place to yeah. be sometimes. And oh, if yeah. you're first, first learning or you just want to whip up an idea, you can really get stuck for a very long period of time. And so processing... It's it, 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 it for the most part the, the the places you'll get stuck are a little bit there's a little, maybe a few a bit fewer of them yeah 
And there's a really good, strong processing community as yeah. well, isn't yeah. there? So tell me about your book. So your first book. Right. It was the orange one. The orange one. I, that's, yes. that's all I know it as. I guess yeah. it's got a proper I, title. I like that it's called the It's called learning. It has a, I don't know if it has a proper title, but it's, <laughs> it has an added. It's, uh, it's called learning processing. Yeah. It, mean, it, it's I the title because I couldn't think of a title. It's, it it's is fine. what it is. Yeah. It says what um, it does. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm sure if you search for the orange book on Amazon, it's not going to work. So Probably not. We kind of need this more formal title. Right. So I'm guessing that's kind of, is that your your intro to programming class yeah, in a book? It is. It, it definitely is. It's a bit more than you can do in one class. It's also, I have this fantasy that the book, I mean, it, it came out of all of the work I did at ITP and sort of geared, but I, I like to think of the book as something that is not at all made really for an art and design community, but for anybody anywhere who wants to learn programming and it was maybe been afraid to or had an experience where it didn't work out for them. That was really my goal. And so I, if I had to pick my audience for the book, I would most like it to be used in high schools. I don't know if it's, I don't have experience teaching high school, so I actually don't really know if it's appropriate, (laughs) but, um, but, uh, but that's, you know, that, that's really where, um, I would love for that type of material and that type of, um, to end up, but um, so but we use it at ITP and other schools seem to use it. and People yeah. generally seem I, to I'm like gonna it. I'm going to try it actually because I, I taught a, a, a course last year at the local university and I was told that they all had some programming experience and that wasn't really true. Yeah. So I found myself like at the last minute trying to explain what an array was and that kind right. of thing. And if, I'm just not used to doing that. I'm very used right. to teaching people right. who are quite new to programming, but not that right. new, right? Right. So I'll be using your book. And yeah, I'll you've be... got lots of stuff way before the array. You know? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> And so uh, I, I always forget, like even just going over. Yes, there's this window on the screen, and it has coordinates and zero zeros in the top left. That is not assumed knowledge. No, yeah. no. I mean, so, that's graphic specific, not programming. But yeah, but it's much yeah. more fun learning yeah. programming yeah, yeah, yeah. with graphics, isn't it? I mean, that's how I For learn. For sure. And so, and you've got a new book coming out, right? right which I'm really interested in because yeah. you're self-publishing. Right. right. So I had. Um, I had a very positive experience writing the first book in that I finished it <laughs> and that um, it felt like a great, like I finally, I've been trying it for years and I had a publisher who worked on it with me, but I, there were many negative aspects about doing the book, um, namely that um, it, it turned into like an expensive textbook. Mm. So it's like, I think it retails for like $50, which in my mind is a little bit silly. Yeah. Um, and it also, I didn't have um, a lot of um, editorial feedback. Um, I didn't have a lot of control over the typesetting design process. So um, I wanted to, tr- and I also just frankly just feel like you know, who is finding the book? They're finding yeah. the book because they either happened to meet me on the street and I mentioned it to them, yeah. or uh, they went to the processing website, or maybe Amazon. But no one's buying it in Barnes & Noble sure. by accident. No one's, So I don't feel that the marketing um, of the book is really something that needs to be farmed out to anyone. Yeah. I'm are not, you, are you um, at least happy with the color of the book? I, yeah, that's what, <laughs> yes. I love that it's orange. In fact, I'm doing a second edition, and um, they said to me they thought they would change the cover into a different color. I said, no, it has to be orange. It's the, it's the orange book. Now, it is the orange although book. I kind of like pink and purple, so do you? I, yeah. <laughs> is that what your next next book is going to be? So, so? Yes, that's right. So Nature of Code will be pink and purple with rainbows and hearts <laughs> and polka dots and <laughs> I, I I have a three year old son and his favorite co- 
color. He says his favorite color is pink, then purple, then blue, then green, then red, then orange. So that's uh, um, so. But uh, anyway, non-committal. Um, I like. Yeah. That. Um, anyway, so I really wanted to explore self-publishing for a number of reasons. Namely, the, the it really started with the idea that I could just make the book twenty dollars. Yeah. And uh, and the printing cost would be ten dollars. And then I could I also could if I wanted to publish it for free online, I wouldn't have to ask anyone. And if I wanted to if I did print on demand, I could update it one day over the summer and just have a new version. So there's lots of reasons. Um, but uh, I, I definitely have discovered that it's a bit more of an arduous process. You know, I have to worry about design, printing, um, illustrations, everything. But it's, it's also a fun thing. So I haven't even talked about what the book is about yet. But no. uh, I could get to that we'll, in a we'll second. We'll get to that later. <laughs> I think this is interesting, but, though, right? Um, this yeah, whole process. But, and then this has actually turned into something which I'm really excited about, which is a project called The Magic Book. Really? Which is, uh, I haven't yeah. heard of this. What's, what's The Magic <laughs> So The Magic Book is a project that I'm working on. And when I say I'm working on, <laughs> I'm, I really mean these two other people at ITP are working on it. And I'm just sort of like, we, let's use Nature of Code book as the example for it. So Rune Matson who is a, a research resident at ITP, and Miguel Bermudez, who's a second-year student, are developing a piece of software. So the idea is this. If you could imagine, um, one of the things that, I, that I've been doing with learning processing a lot is, oh, I want to put a tutorial on the processing website. And I have the book as a PDF in like Microsoft Word and yeah. some text document, and it's got some illustrations here. I'm copying, pasting this, and yeah. reformatting and all this stuff. So the, and it, you know, if I wanted to make a Kindle version or an e ebook or an HTML5 version, oi. So um, the idea is that I would write the book once in uh, some just generic kind of wiki style markup text file. We're using ASCII doc right now. And then you would be, after you finished writing the book, you'd be presented with this giant magic button, which probably won't actually exist, but that's how I think about it. We, we have, I think you have to have <laughs> okay, a magic yeah. and uh, you, Have you got a color for the button yet? Uh, no. Okay. Well, that's obviously going to require <laughs> yeah. some thought. Okay, magic button. You push <laughs> the button, and it spins um, out all these versions. You push the button, and suddenly you have a print PDF. You have a web version. You have HTML5 version. You have a Kindle version. You have whatever format you could imagine. And certain magic things would happen, like it would know to go to this directory to get a high-resolution image for the print and a low-resolution image for the web and a screenshot for a print and an, a yeah. little JavaScript block of code with, for a canvas for the HTML5 version. So that there would all... It, there'd be ways of any 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 feature that is particular to a certain format would would happen in a nice way and you wouldn't have to manually uh, recreate all the versions. And so how's that coming along? It's actually coming along really in a really great way. So we have a little prototype of this working. It's written as a Ruby Sinatra app. I think the idea is that it would also be a website where you could just upload your files and then mm. boom, it would give you back right. all the stuff. Um, and so we have a, our first trial is just to have, we want to feed in this text version of the of the chapter and, and get a print PDF and an HTML5 version. So that's where we want to start and everything, yeah. we feel everything can kind of flow. Sounds great. There. So, and in terms of your book, your... Um you worked with Kickstarter, right? Yes, so I also worked with Kickstarter. So the one thing that the publisher did, yeah. well, they did other things, yeah. but the one thing that really, really meant something to me that was that they gave me deadlines. Yeah. And I felt this uh, this need that I had to finish it. So with the nature of Codebook, I was sure I wanted to do it self-publishing, self-published version of yeah. it, but I floundered for a couple years, like, yeah, oh, my students uh, need, to, I'll, I'll write this chat. You know, it just yeah. never happened. So I was afraid, afraid, afraid to do Kickstarter, but I finally, like, got myself to do it, and it, it gives me that, I mean, 
not, there's nothing that I feel more guilty about in my life right now that I'm not physically sitting at the keyword right now working yeah. on that chapter 10. It's actually been quite a while since I released another draft chapter. So, so, so um, you've got deadlines, but... So it's not really that anyone's given me a hard deadline, but I feel that there's this that group pressure. of people who who took some time out of their life to like support the project. I want to get them the book. Yeah. And also what's been awesome about Kickstarter is I, um, I get great feedback. So the book is about... Uh, simulations of natural systems and code and you know I, I'm writing about like stuff that I don't know about at all really and you know Newtonian physics and and so I've been you know I have some stuff about how pendulum swinging a double pendulum and I, I got some feedback by um, people who really know about this stuff I said well you know you I get why you're saying it that way for the, the code example but that's not really true and so to have um, the feedback from um, from uh, sort of a group of people who are reading the book along the way yeah. has been really exciting. And, and people also, who know, really know stuff as opposed right. to your publisher, it sounds like they didn't And really... I have a budget, so I hired yeah. an editor, and I'm paying, it's, uh, her name is um, Shannon Fry. You might recognize her last <laughs> name. She's fantastic, and yeah. so I have a budget to um, to hire an editor, and I hired someone to do illustrations, Anna uh -huh. Marsh, and so it's, it's great, and I, um, it's great to be able to just have that money to know you know this yeah. is to, to make the project happen yeah it's fantastic so yeah. we haven't really talked much about what the book's about but it's right. a conversion of one of your courses right right, right. so i um I've always been interested in kind of math and science topics, and when I discovered programming really at ITP, I, I wanted to try the trumpet in the background is quite nice. It's actually. awesome, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be able to hear I, a some, word you're somebody saying. Somebody should always play the trumpet while I'm while I'm speaking. I might just record yeah. some yeah. some trumpet and just carry it around with me for right. these types of just occasions. Just play music instead of me talking. Actually, once you go to edit the podcast. <laughs> oh, we made but, him stop now. Um, <laughs> um, so, um, so uh, one of the things I began to explore when I first was programming was um, uh, typical strategies for modeling things that happen in nature in software. And this is nothing new. People have been doing this for years. And um, and so, um, but processing is a really wonderful environment to do this because it's a quick way to draw stuff on the screen and it's the code is easy to write. So um, so I taught, I taught a course and it, it basically has three parts. And it, I try to think of it as having a story, these three parts. And the beginning just starts with um, basic physics. So even just from what's a vector to what does it mean to have a vector be a force? So I have a ball on the screen. What does it mean to, for there to be wind blowing it across and gravity pulling it down? And that is a, the building block for moving things around the screen. Um, and from there, we take that model to look at, well, what if these elements had some uh, uh, that are moving around the screen weren't just inanimate objects that are being bopped or falling with gravity or blown with wind, but actually had desires and hopes and fears and dreams, <laughs> and they could want to seek a target or follow a path. So looking at uh, different rules for movement that come from within, in a way, and um, that leads to thinking about rule-based systems that with generative patterns, like L systems and cellular automaton, these types of systems. And then the, that's part two. And then the last part is saying, well, we had inanimate objects, then we had objects with desires, and now we'll give those objects with desires a brain and look at some machine learning um, topics such as um, genetic algorithms and neural networks. And neural networks is the, the chapter I'm trying to write <laughs> ne right now, and it's definitely the most challenging in the sense that it, it, it connects least with all of the examples throughout the book. So I'm trying to think actually about a way of, <laughs> I kind of want to just delete that chapter. <laughs> but but, um, but I've committed right. to it, so I'm and I have the material for it, but I, I want it to make sense and not just be a little, um, and oh yeah, there's also something called neural networks, and here's how they work, but they're kind of hard, so don't yeah. really bother. You get that a lot, yeah, don't you? Yeah. yeah. 
I'd probably write a book like that. <laughs> and so, wait, if you, when, when's it going to be done then? Uh, Google, that, so if I say something now, this is going to give me another gonna, deadline because this, this goes be out awesome. to millions of people, yeah, right? I want, I want um, commitment here, Dan. <laughs> um, okay, so I have this class that I'm teaching, which has a big show on December 2nd. I just 2nd. wanted a date, really. And, oh, <laughs> no, don't, you don't want the explanation? Okay, <laughs> <No>. fine. <laughs> this is, that's very, that's, okay. Um, I'm, I'm, I would like to say that there will be a finished PDF version of the book, mm -hmm. January 1st, 2012. I like it. Um, I don't know about how I'm going to print it yet, so sure. um, so that may follow. But to be able to have to be able to read the whole book from beginning to end and get all the examples, then and but by the way, all of the examples for the book except for chapter ten are already on GitLub. G okay. uh, GitLub. GitHub. I like to call it. Just edit <laughs> you it. You can edit it's that, fine. right? Git. Uh, Git something or other. <laughs> Hub Git. Yeah. Um, so well, that's very new. Um, you can you can give me, no. I, won't. I, I just I guess we'll finish up. Oh, I was going to say. So you got 2,000 backers on Kickstarter. I don't, I don't know. Was, was it really 2,000? I think it's something like it's, that. It's a high number, but... I it's 1,000. But I mean, that's actually not that many, but it's right. it's given you more than enough to do the book, right? Which is cool. Way more. I mean, when I'm doing the math, it seems like a massive amount of money, and it, yeah. it really is. I think the total funding was $30,000. Mm. Um, in the end, after I do, after I hire everyone and do all the printing, I think the Kickstarter project will mostly break even. I think I'll come yeah. out, hopefully come out a little bit ahead. Okay. But what's so amazing seems about like that, Money, is, but once that's done, I have this finished book that I completely, I, I would say I own, but I almost feel like the world owns it now, yeah, you know, yeah. because it's not tied up in some um, sort of uh, publishing system. So what's great is, um, and and the earning for, for other authors, I'll say this, if you, if you do the math from what you make per book through a publisher versus what you could make. Yeah print on demand it's quite different so yeah. Um, so yeah so that, that'll be really exciting though. it's all gravy after that I guess <laughs> and, uh, and, and I guess um, there's a bit of a limitation in Kickstarter that you can't actually now become a supporter of your right, book, it's, right? Uh, yeah you know it's funny when I I, I, I I set up my Kickstarter project like pulling off a band-aid I yeah. was kind of like I didn't really want to do it and I kept saying I was going to do it for weeks and weeks and then in about an hour I put everything in I uh I recorded a video in one take. You know, it's like yeah. I didn't even edit it, and there's actually me like walking into the camera, then turning around and looking at the camera at the beginning. That's all part. So it's, it's part of the shtick. Yes, <laughs> but um, so I, um, so one of the things I put in completely arbitrarily was the like funding date. I just made up some date, which yeah. I think was like in April. Ages so ago, um, I get lots of emails from people, um, and it, I'm very happy to share actually the PDFs, especially with uh, hardworking teachers and poor, starving students and artists. But I, I have been. Accepting um, uh, ten dollars for PayPal uh, via PayPal if people so, really so are, if, are if someone wants access to it as it is, they can just chat you. They can send me an email. Send you yeah. a tenner. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, get the book. So is there yeah. anything? I've I've only talked really about the stuff I know about. But is there yeah. any other anything else that I don't know about that's really you're really excited about? Want to talk about? Oh, that doesn't good, have to be. I don't. Th <laughs> there I probably just, is, but <laughs> it's funny. I keep this list of. Uh, of project ideas and I don't even there was a point where I would actually go back to the list and look at them and, and sometimes I would pick up one of them but yeah. um, uh, now I don't even know where the list is anymore <laughs> I think it's having like a new little baby at home kind of makes yes, that list uh, of makes that list go away but I, the, I mean the one thing that I could talk about briefly although you can also just edit this out because <laughs> we've gone on forever is the um, um, most pixels ever library oh yeah which um which is a library slash framework. It's for both processing and there's also an open frameworks version. And I should say that James George um, 
made an entirely new, uh, forked it on GitHub, which is all the rage <laughs> these days, but made it, uh, improved it with all these I new features. I hear the cool kids are on yes. GitLab. <laughs> GitLab, right. <laughs> um, but, um, so I'm teaching this class, uh, which has a big show on December 2nd, and we use the library uh, to uh, span a processing sketch onto a giant 120-foot by 10-foot um, video wall, which is And how many fun. computers is that? So that is... Um, it's funny that you should ask because uh, we went through, we, 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 we were determined to get it to all work from one machine. Yeah. And we were like, we'll get this expensive graphics card, we'll use these Matrox triple heads, blah, blah, blah. We had all these different ways of doing it and just it just never really worked. Right. So it, right now it's three machines and they each output a total of 3840 by 1080. So it's like two 1920 by 1080 uh, through a Matrox uh, dual head. And uh, they are running separate processing sketches or open frameworks applications. Um, and uh, the way that it works is they, 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 um, they communicate over the network to know what each other are doing and there's actually a server that kind of controls the rendering rate so that they, they draw in sync and that they each draw their own little section of one continuous image and it looks like we have one display. Sounds brilliant. So it's, it's, it's the magic, uh, we'll call it the, the magic multi-video wall thing. <laughs> It's getting to the like end it. of this interview. I've like, stopped like being able to speak. Well, it's, it's been great. Thank you. So thank you so much <laughs> sure. for taking the time. Of course. It's brilliant. Thank you. Of course. Cool. Another great interview. I really like the um, the background atmosphere on that one as well. <laughs> yeah. It gives we, it a cool thing. It goes back to the thing of we need to put some cafe sound effects behind our, the whole podcast. We should just go to a cafe. Mm. <laughs> we should. Next time we're within like a mile of each other, let's, yeah. let's go to a cafe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that. Do you think people think that we're in the same room? I don't know. We both live quite near the sea, so we could, there could boats be involved. And we should just say things like, have you had a haircut? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like cool. your new shirt. That's cool. I might be in, I might be in London and uh, working in January. For a client? Yeah. I thought you weren't going to have clients anymore. I, I am, but I um, need some money. <laughs> Depressingly. <laughs> Depressingly. But um, it's not for very long. So. Uh, yeah, fair enough. Or whatever. You, you know what I'd rather talk about? What's that? I'd rather talk about things that things Ian has, that Ian learned. has learned. learned. Oh, okay. Let me go and find the PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know because the thing is though you can't remember what the last thing i learned was yeah i can what was it no i can't just Sorry, tell me just go through them and, and i'll tell you if we've done them before okay people aren't motivated by money yeah people we've done that one for work you can pay overtime in pizza yeah we've done that one don't go home while your minions are still working done that get in on the ground floor don't know might have done that what's what's the one after that it's never too late and you're never too old pretty sure we've done that What's after that? Start a blog. Um, don't think we've done that. We've never done start a blog. No. Okay. Do start a blog. Okay. <laughs> right. So what's okay. what's the thing you've learned this time, um, Ian? Well, going back, it says number ten. If start a blog, um, but write things people want to read. Mm. Now I'm not sure about this anymore because I almost never update my blog anymore. Oh. So I'm going to amend this one to be start a podcast. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, you've got to have a blog and... But do you? I guess I you still... You need a... Mm, no, I know, maybe not. Um, I think I think you do need a blog or at least somewhere that you can put your written 
thoughts yeah, down yeah you do. because because like I, I know what you mean it's it's kind of becoming a bit unnecessary with twitter and with google plus and things like that um but even so sometimes i think on twitter there'll be lots of links to a pertinent blog post won't there there will but then those blog posts take a very long time to write yes they do right basically but, it's like it's the twitter has raised the game or microblogging in general has raised the game right yeah for what is what should be in a blog post it's, you can't really get away with short posts anymore because no one's going to go and read them. Yeah, that's true. Like, like sometimes I click off Twitter to a blog post and it's got almost nothing in it. I'm like, oh, why did I even leave Twitter? What? Yeah, but don't you think also by the same token that some posts are too long? No, because... <laughs> They should be like a thesis at this point. They should be like some epic like article, right? I don't know. Well, yeah, an article, but I, I still yeah, think articles. it should, should be... Well, I mean, I guess if it is a really in-depth topic, then yeah, maybe I'll I'll let you get away with it. But I do think that people ramble on and on. Yeah, I'm, being... not, I'm definitely not pro-rambling. Yeah. You know, anything you write should be long enough to contain all of the information and mood that you want it to contain and not anything else, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's I think it's still good for for creating um somewhere to people for people to link to, right? But especially if it, it catches people's imagination. But you know what? I almost think that even if no one reads it, it's still good for you. Mm, I think it's good to write tutorials because then you're giving something back to the world that isn't just like here's what I think for 20 minutes. Yeah, that's true. Um <laughs> I I yeah, I mean tutorials take ages though. Oh my I know, god. They really do. That's like that's what I'm saying though. Anything good that you can write in your blog takes a long time. Yeah, and and I think that tutorials are cool because, like you say, they're giving something back. But I think the process of of collecting your thoughts and putting them into a concise blog post that's a really good skill and it's a really good thing to practice because mm. it and it actually often it helps you to figure out what you actually think. You know, because yeah. sometimes sometimes you think something but you don't. You, and the, but you can't necessarily justify it so it, it, mm. like if you want to write a blog post about it it requires that you really justify the things that you say or a good one at least yeah but i just think that like i've really noticed recently that like the b- blogs used to be kind of the way that people kind of got together a bit and i would recognize that there would be some people that i know only from comments that they leave on my blog yeah whereas now i would just know those same people on twitter yeah so twitter's definitely usurped it a lot for me sure and plus if you write a blog post some you know even if you've got like say a certain number of people following you on twitter only like maybe 10 or 20 percent of them will actually click off and read the blog post yeah whereas if you just if you can get it into a few tweets (laughs) if you can say the same thing in like three tweets then just do that it's way way better you're saving everyone a lot of time and bother (laughs) Sure. But I mean, blog posts are great um, search engine optimization, though, if you want to get people to your visitors to your website. Yeah. Because you're talking about the things that you're interested in and the things that you'd like people to contact you about. Sure. So I quite like documenting my projects on my blog. Yeah. That's kind of fun. But again, it takes ages. And yeah. you just think, well, wouldn't you rather be working on another project? No. Well, yes and no. I mean, I just kind of think that some of the projects I've done, like, well, in fact, this is a really good example of a project that I didn't really document. But well, let's just say any project that I do, like far fewer people see it in real life than than see it on my on my blog, you know, because so in some ways it's like the documentation is is more important. Well, it's not obviously not mm. more important because it wouldn't exist without the actual project. Yeah. But yeah it's so so many i mean thousands and thousands of people can see like the the films yeah. of my work rather than yeah but then that's a different thing like video i'm all for yeah. video i think yeah. 
I'm going to add in. So I'm going to amend this to be start a blog or a YouTube channel or a podcast <laughs> or preferably all three. I'm th- I want to do more stuff with video, like, yeah, because it's way better to do a video tutorial than to do a written tutorial, I think. You know, I think those video tutorials are really good for like practical skills like Photoshop or, or video editing where you can say, oh, then you click this button here and open this palette and type this into this window and move this here. I think that works really mm. well for videos. But I think having a code editor saying, well, then you type this and then you type that is not really so good. Um, you need, you guess, I guess you need the reference as well. You need what? The reference as well, right? You need yeah. the, the code written down somewhere as well. But I don't know. I mean, Lee Brimlow does it and he's, his go-to and learn thing is really popular and he does code. Yeah. You just make the font really big and <laughs> don't like write too much. Just focus on simple stuff. I guess I can only go on what I, what I, how I learn. Like, and, for example, and- I think if you wrote an introduction to programming and made it as a YouTube series of YouTube videos, like a, yeah. people would love it and you'd get the yeah. a billion views yeah i think maybe that that could be cool yeah you could be right but i do I, but i guess that's that's if you're okay with it going really slowly the thing i find with most video tutorials um is that they're too slow for me and you can't really speed them up i, I prefer learning from books actually most most of my learning is from books I don't really learn that much from books. Yeah, they're I expensive. guess everyone's different, aren't they? They're expensive. I just rather scrabble around and find it on the <laughs> internet if it's there. Um, but I'm running out of time, so we should think okay, about me too. Yep. closing up, right? Let's so wrap it up. I guess that's it for the year. Yep. Happy Christmas. 18 podcasts. That's all right, yep. isn't it? That's pretty damn good. Yeah. And we'll be back in 2012 with 18 more, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No. We're going to have to think of new stuff to talk about. We don't run out of stuff to talk about. We don't really. Don't seem to. Um, Have a good Christmas. Happy Christmas and happy Christmas to all of my listeners. Yes. And also happy Hanukkah. Happy Gonza. Happy um, Saturnalia. Happy Solstice. Happy atheist non-denominational <laughs> family meetup Just thing. happy middle of the winter kind of. Winterful. Time. Yeah. Let's all, yeah. let's all buy some stuff and things. <laughs> <laughs> Happy consumerist orgy of decadence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, cool. everyone. Happy Christmas. Bye. And Happy New Year. Bye. <laughs>